Amen. If you're able, would you remain standing to honor God's word? It comes to us from Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from his from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Just a uh, before the sermon, just a very very quick note of business. Um, we have proposed doing some renovations to our church uh, in a campaign called Grow in Grace, and many of you have returned pledge cards, and it's been overwhelmingly wonderful and generous. Uh, many of you have not yet, and you're praying through that, and we, put, we have these cards. But also, I want to speak to those who are, who are with us online today. I'll, so many of our improvements to our sanctuary are going to be a great, great benefit to our online worshipers, and you'll see right here, right here, this is called the lower thirds. There's a way to give right here. You all can't see that, but online you can see right here. There's a, there's a way to give online, and we pray that you'll be uh, able to participate with us in that effort. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come to you acknowledging that your word is truth, and it is eternal, and it is yours and that you should be the one who speaks it. So we ask your Holy Spirit to speak and be our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This Advent season, we're going through some of the characters of the Christmas story. This morning, we are talking about Joseph. Joseph does not have a starring role in the Christmas story. He's not even given a line in the Christmas story. He doesn't speak one word in the New Testament. Joseph does not have a following like Mary or the shepherds, or even John the Baptist. If you go to the Holy Land, you can go to the shepherd's field. They actually have a field that's named after them. There's nothing named after Joseph. We, we don't dedicate a Sunday for the retelling of his story. There's only one hymn in our hymnal dedicated to Joseph, and you don't even know what it is. We never sing it. <clears throat> it's not very good. Although that song was wonderful. Maybe, maybe this is, there's a renewal. In a recent book, Jim Dietz tells the time he was in a Christmas pageant when he was young. As a child, he was given the part of Joseph. It was not an extensive role, no words, no action. So, Joseph, so Jim decided he wanted to give Joseph a little flair. He would move around a bit, make a few gestures here and there, trying to bring a little life to the part. And every time he would do this, the director would shout, No, 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 just stand there. No talking, no moving. And it wasn't until he was perfectly motionless still that the director said, that's perfect, now that's Joseph. (laughs) Dale Bruner argues that we might call him quiet Joseph. His hallmark is obedience, prompt, simple, 
unspectacular obedience. But I do think that we need to look a little closer. Maybe we need to dig a little bit deeper. For no other reason than Joseph is given the title righteous. Now, we just went through 11 weeks going through the book of Jeremiah. Boy, that was, we didn't see a whole lot of people named as righteous. So when we get to the New Testament and it wants us to understand, look at this one, we should take notice. Now, the word righteous is fraught with a lot of religious baggage. With a lot of freight with that word. We say people are self righteous. It's a very religious word and it's hard to grasp, but really what the Bible is trying to say about Joseph is take note of this one. Look at him. He's doing it right. It's like heaven is saying, you want to see something? Watch what he does. He's the man. He's the bomb, we would say. Joseph, he's doing it. And there's great applause. He's righteous. Why? Well, I think our text gives us two main ingredients, two main characteristics. And they're actually what the Bible calls us to be, all of us to be. And the first is we, we see Joseph loving his neighbor. That's the great charge for us. Love God, love neighbor. And, and Joseph models that in such a wonderful way. You know, the Christmas story may be so familiar to at least some of us that we might, we might kind of gloss over and miss some of the significance of the details. I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Imagine that a, that a woman you were engaged to marry comes up to you one day and says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby. And then she tries to explain, no, there is no other man. God is the father. You would probably say, Sorry, sweetie, but I know how babies are made. There's no question that that would put strain on the relationship. You'd be dealing with a whole nother level of stress. If you lived in an ancient traditional culture where there were some societal norms that were very strict when it came to sex, much more so than we might experience today, Verse 18 tells us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph at the time that she learns that she will bear God's child. Now, the betrothal period usually lasted for a year, and that time period was no accident. The reason they waited for a year before they had the wedding was to make sure that there was no child on the way. And sex before marriage was taken very seriously. Adultery was considered the worst kind of theft. In the Old Testament times, for example, if a man slept with a woman who was betrothed to another, that was a capital offense. A capital offense. We read this in Deuteronomy 22. Although by the time we get to Joseph's time, Joseph and Mary, that had been moderated and divorce was now expected. It was now the norm. So that would be the first stage, this betrothal period. The second stage was the wedding itself, which would take place after that one-year period. And that was a very public ceremony. At one point, the husband would take his wife home to live with him, and the two would come together as a married couple. And so what we're being told then 
is that when Mary discovers she's pregnant with God's child, it takes place during that betrothal period, before the two have actually married, before they actually had probably spent much time together at all. And when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, we can only assume that he thought it was someone else's child. Joseph would have been expected. Actually, it's stronger than that. Joseph would have been required to divorce her. It was the law. It was a social expectation. Everyone knew it. He couldn't give Mary a second chance. That wasn't part of the culture. wasn't part of the society. Even if he wanted to, he would have been required to divorce her. It would have been an accusation, a public accusation of adultery, which inevitably would have led to a very public and scandalous trial. Are you, are you with me on this? You see the burden placed on Joseph. He was caught between a rock and a hard place. Justice demanded that he divorce Mary and subsequently make a spectacle of her. Drag her name through the mud. But compassion demanded otherwise. What to do? What could he do? Verse 19 goes on to tell us that Joseph was unwilling to do this. He was unwilling to bring shame to Mary. He was unwilling to make a public spectacle of this. Unwilling to drag her name through the mud because if he did it would make it impossible for her to ever have a meaningful life. She'd never be able to marry anyone else within that culture. Instead, Joseph decides to divorce her quietly because he doesn't want that shame to come to her. This reveals something about Joseph's spirit. He's got a forgiving heart. He's willing to take this action when, as as far as he knows, Mary has cheated on him. That's what he knows. He doesn't know any better. It means that it's only a matter of time before everybody is going to realize that Mary is pregnant. And if Joseph doesn't demand justice, if he doesn't take proactive steps to clear his own name, what will people think? What will people now think of him? You see, what's happening here is by by showing compassion to Mary, it's going to come at a great cost to himself. He's willing to take that risk. He's willing to make that sacrifice. If he does put her to shame, it means he very well may, if he doesn't, it means he will be put to shame. If he doesn't drag her name through the mud, other people will drag his name through the mud. All of which shows us that God chose a remarkable person to be the father of our Lord. It's remarkable when you consider that he was also probably only a teenager. We live in a world where minor mistakes are brought with it a whole heaping dose of shame. We see it every day. Where people make mistakes, they they say the wrong thing, and the crowd jumps in and says, shame, shame, shame. People's lives are ruined. When our children were younger, uh, very young, uh, we had a medical situation with our son And when we were in the emergency room, not to go into many details, but there was an incident of malpractice. 
And the doctor in that emergency room was arrogant, and he was flippant, and it caused me a great deal of emotion when I think about it even today. We quickly rushed out of the emergency room. We got him the care he needed, but I went home and I was full of anger and upset, and I picked up the phone and I called an attorney that I knew here in town, and and I told him what had happened, and I explained it to him, and I said, now I want to know right now, do I have legal rights? Can I sue him? I want to do this. And this attorney friend who was a believer in Jesus, a Christian, he he listened to me and listened to my emotion, and and then he, he said, you absolutely have a right to sue, and by the way, you would win, and it could be a large sum of money, You have every right to do that. Absolutely. And then there was a pause. And then he said, however, I want you to take a deep breath and ask yourself, is that the right thing to do? And I'll never forget that. At that moment, I remembered that I had been teaching a Bible study at my church on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, don't hit back, (laughs) where Jesus talks about loving enemies and turning the other cheek. It was this remarkable exchange where this attorney was pastoring this pastor, Where this attorney was lifting up Jesus' ideals to this pastor who had momentarily forgotten it. Now, I'm not putting my situation on everyone. I know that there are a myriad of different scenarios and situations. But in that moment, at that time, I needed to hear that word. Bringing shame on someone else for what they did wasn't going to help the situation. And I had all those emotions. I thought, boy, this is what you should do. When I read Joseph's story and I see that his concern was, I don't want to bring that to her. She may have hurt me, she may have done wrong, but I don't want more harm to come to her. I don't want to see that. It was a great way to model loving neighbor, caring for others, putting others before self. We see that in Joseph's story. We also learn how Joseph not only loved the neighbor, but he also loved God. Joseph probably agonized over this decision. It was not an easy decision to make. And, but he resolved to know what he was going to do. It was settled in his mind what he would have to do. He would divorce Mary quietly. But that moment, after he made that decision, God intervened. God intervened because Joseph is going to play a critical role, an important role to fill, more than he ever realized. And God told him that this was part of God's plan. Joseph, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want you to do. This is the role I want you to play. God announces to Joseph, says, I want you to think about something bigger going on here. I want you to trust me in this. It all came to him in a dream. That embrace of that promise would lead Joseph to walk with Mary 
bring the child to, to, to the world, and then it would lead him to have to escape and flee to Egypt with his new young family. Think about that. Think about what a hard journey that would be for a poor couple having to leave as refugees. Think about all the times in that long, hard journey. Joseph must have thought, what are we doing? Why am I doing this? Maybe I didn't hear that dream right. And and by the way, when they got to Egypt, fleeing Herod, when they got to Egypt, they would have had to be taken in by a family showing compassion upon them. Think about this, Joseph having to ask, will you care for us? Swallowing his pride and allowing himself to be serviced. All of this going on. And Joseph many, many times must have thought, does this what it means? Is it what it means to follow God's plan? Becoming a refugee in a foreign country? Having to rely on strangers? This is not the plan I had. I had a plan of a white picket fence and, and this child was going to play soccer and it was going to be, we were going to have more kids and, and I would go to work and come home and everything was going to be fine. There were many times Joseph was thought, this, what is happening here? Is this what God wants my life to look like? And yet he stayed with it. He stayed. He embraced this bigger promise, despite all of the circumstances in his life, seemingly getting nothing for himself. I read about an old missionary couple. They had given their lives to serving those in Africa. This is back in the early 1900s. And they had served and it was time to retire. And so they came back on a ship from Africa and they, they were missionaries. So they had little money. They had no pension. They had no health insurance. They were discouraged. Their health was poor. They were a little bit afraid about what life was going to be like now. And on the ship bringing them back from Africa was President Teddy Roosevelt. He was on a big game expedition in Africa. And when that ship came into port, there was a band waiting to welcome Teddy Roosevelt home. There were crowds cheering. And this missionary couple got off that ship and there was no one cheering. There was no one waiting for them. There was no band playing. Seemingly, they had given their lives to this incredible thing and no one seemed to notice or care. And the husband started to Powered a bit. That night, his spirit broke and he said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. We should be getting applause. We should be getting fanfare. His wife replied, well, you know what you need to do? You need to go into the bedroom and talk to the Lord about it. So he did. He came back a bit later, but his countenance now was completely changed and What happened, she said. What happened in there? And he said, well, the Lord settled it with me. He said, I I told him how bitter I was that the president got such a big fanfare and homecoming and, and how no one came to meet us when we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as if the Lord was saying to me very clearly and that he put his hand on my shoulder 
And he said, just, just wait. You're not home yet. Friends, that's the message that came to Joseph. You may be in Egypt. You may be, just wait, Joseph. I got bigger things going on here. Remarkable things. Just wait. And it's the message that comes to us as well. To the single mom struggling to raise her children and support them financially, which means she has no time to meet someone else for herself, the Lord comes and says, Just wait, just wait. To the elderly spouse who faithfully stays with a partner through years of illness or convalescence, the Lord says, Yes, but just, just wait. To faithful servants who give to God's kingdom, it's the same message. Just, just wait. It is the message of Advent. Wait, he's coming again. To the lonely teenager struggling to make friends because they've refused to join the crowd and the peer pressure, the Lord says, just wait, you're not home yet. What does a righteous person do? righteous person hears that word and says, okay, Lord, I trust you, and I trust what you're doing here. And we see that so beautifully in Joseph. So, friends, take a long look at Joseph. Look at his quiet faithfulness, his unspectacular obedience. Look at his tender care for, for Mary and her child. And if you set up a crash in your home like we have this Christmas, you'll probably put the baby Jesus right in the center. And Mary will be right there. The shepherd Wisemans will all be up front. And Joseph? Well, he'll be in the back. Somewhere in the back. He'll be with the cattle and the sheep. And that's okay. He's pretty quiet. He seems to prefer it back there. But keep your eye on him all the same. 